Welcome into 241 Drafts. Austin Gale here, the host of 241 Drafts, a rookies and draft prospects podcast. I'm here in Cincinnati with my guy, Mike Renner, ready to rip it up. Today we have the mailbag episode. Every single week we do a mailbag episode. Take listener questions that are left in Apple Podcast reviews. You leave a five-star review and a question. We're going to answer it on the mailbag episode. Make sure you do that moving forward. And at the back end of the episode, tune into the 2-2 Atwell interview. Talk to the Louisville wide receiver about 40 time. Apparently he can run in the 4-2s, Mike. We're going to see how that goes, but uh, should be a fantastic podcast. Mailbag and the 2-2 Atwell interview. Let's get it. studio baby back to back days i love the three episodes a week man doing three episodes a week on two for one drafts the mailbag episode arguably the best yeah. no stories today but someone in the youtube comments did mistake me for george clooney since upgrading the fit i got some new pants on today that happens some fresh kicks oh oh my god i feel like you usually get brad pitt but clooney i could see too yeah exactly clooney a young clooney i'll take i honestly will take a young clooney but and there's some there's mixed reviews on the mustache people are like i love the mustache it's an icon it's a piece it's a big statement piece and then some people's like i hate it you should shave that thing off i'm i'm riding it out i'm coming for the crown you know who has the mustache in media right now warren sharp if the youtube video throw a picture of warren sharp on there i'm coming for the crown that guy thinks he's the only guy that can rock a mustache i'm coming i like the guy who said no you want you to keep the mustache so we can get more bad date stories oh that's a great take actually yeah. the bad date stories continue to run i had one i had yeah it's it's not a good it's not a good look it's not a good look all right we don't have a story to start the mailbag episode. I will tease this one again, though. On Monday, I will drop the story that involves a shotgun, my dad's mom, my grandma, and Thanksgiving all in the same bit here. Should be a pretty good one on Monday. Uh, we'll think about what you're going to tell on Wednesday because people want to know more about you. People yeah. want to know more about you. Let's go ahead and get into the mailbag episode. Remember, leave a Apple Podcast review, five stars if you could, and a question in there, and we will get to it eventually. There's so many There's coming backlog. in. <laughs> There's so many coming in. There's a backlog, but we're going to get to them eventually. We're going to continue to burn through them on this Thursday mailback episode, starting with Shaplito from January 21. That's how backlogged we are. Yeah. What's your opinion slash prediction of Emory Jones at Florida? How how's it feel having the most entertaining pod on PFF? Sam and Steve could never LOL. Feels pretty good to answer that it does part feel of the good. question. It's it. And I agree, like with your the premise of that question as well. But to Emory Jones, for people who don't know, he's the quarterback of the future at Florida. Actually played some this year, 36 dropbacks, earned a 90.5 overall grade. That's for his running ability, though. The dude can <laughs> scoot. He is talented in that regard. And he's talented, like, period. He has a pretty solid arm. I wouldn't put him up there with, you know, the Zach Wilsons of the world or the Trey Lances, he's not to that level, but I think he's got about as strong arms like a Justin Fields. Like he's got a good, he's got an NFL arm, got an NFL release. I'm excited to see what he does because he was kind of, even though, you know, 90.5 overall grade, whatever sounds great. I think only 72.5 passing grade. Really up and down as a passer. Showed some really nice throws. He had a nice touchdown throw against Arkansas. We thread the needle on a post. Back shoulder against Oklahoma that were like NFL throws. You're talking about projecting to the next level. Those are throws you got to make. But, man, you saw, I, I think, the very first play he came in, or the very first you know, snap he took this past year against Ole Miss, he just, like, threw up a prayer down the field under pressure. So I need to see how he kind of performs when he's the guy next year. But in terms of just talent of returning quarterbacks coming back, he's in the top five in terms of just physical ability. That's huge. I, I'm, you know who I'm excited for next year? I, Emory Jones, like you said, talented. Small sample size to look at that production or those grades. But DJ Uangalele. I think yeah. that guy, that guy's well, got some talent. Talk about talent. He'll be a sophomore though, so we're still not going to be drafting. No, we're still not going to be drafting DJ Ungalele, yeah. but I'm excited to watch him play football. Okay, can yeah. I not be excited to watch him play football? We can also still get Big Dave on the podcast. We're going to get Big Dave on the podcast. Well, so Faro, we need Big Dave on the podcast. He helps us get book book interviews here. We need Big Dave on the podcast. We'll find a way. No, I'm actually excited to see Malik Willis, the Liberty quarterback. Oh wow, he's transferring. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure if he is. I, I think I heard he's transferring. He might have the strongest arm in the country. That guy's got a hose. Really? Yes. So I'm excited. 
Yeah. All right. Uh, next mailbag question. This one comes from A. Bortnick. Hey, guys. Really like the pod. Mike has become one of the most trusted draft analysts, and Austin might be a movie character walking with his stories. I'll take that. Anyway, my question is about Jets 2020 rookies in the secondary. They went volume in the later rounds, but on guys you liked. Bryce Hall, Ashton Davis, even Lamar Jackson, and Javelin Gidry got playing time. Were any of them impressive slash disappointing, and would you start any in 2021? I think you have to give all of them the caveat of Greg Williams was their defense coordinator. Very true. So Lamar Jackson was the guy who got left on an island against Henry Ruggs in that game they blew with the cover cover zero blitz. Yeah, so that caveat, I I thought Bryce Hall actually looked good. We talked about the one game he had that, I think the one-handed pick against the Chargers. It was sick. I reenacted that pick, I think, on the episode. You reenacted it. I think the ball skills you still saw there, reason to be encouraged, 62.8 coverage grade, considering how badly rookie cornerbacks got thrashed this year a lot of reason to be encouraged there i like gidry as well in a man heavy scheme i thought you saw him obviously limited he didn't play much i think only like 100 coverage snaps all year but i think him and man coverage i feel really good about going forward and then we really liked ashton davis he again another guy who just like didn't get to see the field much in that defense this year i think only like 400 snaps so reason to be encouraged not reason enough to not keep addressing that position. Yeah, yeah, you have to continue to invest in the secondary. Again, I bring this team up, I think, every time we talk about investing in the secondary and building from that area. It's the Tampa Bay Bucs. You know, they drafted MJ Edwards, Carlton Davis, Sean Murphy Bunting, um, Jamel Dean. Like, they just continued to throw, yeah. throw Antoine Winfield And they had Jr. Vernon Hargraves. Yeah. You had a first-rounder. Yeah. You could have been like, okay, this is your Vernon Hargraves, turns it on. But they didn't. They kept going. You have to throw the kitchen sink and then some at investing in your secondary, especially in, at, from a youth perspective, to eventually find guys that work. Now they have Davis, Jamel Dean, even Bunting in the slot is performing. He has a pick in every playoff game so far. Yeah. And that's how you shut down Aaron Rodgers. It shut is. down Patrick Mahomes. It is. Shut down the quarterbacks that look like they're incapable of being shut down is take away the first read. And I really like the Jets' approach. You have you have Ashton Davis and Javelin Gidry. Both those guys can fly. And then you have Bryce Hall and Lamar Jackson. Not necessarily speedsters, but guys that, I mean, could develop. I mean, they have some good length and good size. So, all right, going to the next one here, Axel Green. My favorite football podcast. Always a great and informative podcast. Which quarterback in the draft fits the Broncos the best? What would it take to move up and get that said quarterback? Thank you for reading my review. Next one, too, is about the Broncos quarterbacks. So both read them in the end. Oh, okay. So then this, this one's from JMD5225. Hey, gentlemen, if you're George Baton in Denver, new GM, Pat. what is your dream offseason at the quarterback position, and what do you guys think is actually going to happen next season at quarterback? So two Broncos quarterback questions. What is the ideal dream scenario for the Broncos at quarterback? I mean, Trevor Lawrence would Just be come ideal. Come on. We're talking about dream Peter scenarios, Pan, okay? Count Chocula. Yeah. Dream big i always say uh realistically is that the nfl sees deshaun watson kind of how that excuse me justin fields how they saw deshaun watson like this guy with all the stats in the world but then are like scared of whatever his projection might be to the nfl level that is the dream scenario for the denver broncos and i think he's a in terms of if you're talking about for him versus trey lance i think he's a much better fit for that scheme the accuracy and the talent they kind of have there like Jerry Judy's not really a contest to catch guy. He's a guy you got to hit accurately, but he's going to be open. So Justin Fields is that guy who has that level of accuracy and will see and hit guys who are open. So they have $15 million cast space right now. I, I don't think they should be going after veteran quarterback. I don't think they're there as a roster. You know, they should. Like don't go get Carr or Garoppolo yes. or Cousins. Yes. So. That's where I would go. I would go draft, go find a guy, go try to get him. Ideally, Fields just falls in your lap. That's that's the like realistic dream scenario. What I think will actually happen, sadly, is you're going into 2021 with Drew Locke. Unfortunate. Unfortunately, that's just how I think I see that ending up. I, I, one, I think three quarterbacks come off the board early. Some other team makes a move to get one of those guys and then – Kind of SOL. And Benjamin Albright, who covers the Broncos for a handful of outlets, is has been adamant that they're not going to get aggressive at upgrading over Drew Locke. I think the things that he's said has been bringing a veteran to compete, but Drew Locke is still the guy. So I don't see them trading multiple first-round picks to go up and get Justin Fields or say a Zach Wilson. I think they're going to stay put at nine. If a quarterback falls into their lap, which in some mock drafts Justin Fields has fallen that far, yeah. then you swing the bat. But if not, 
I think they're going to stay put, start Drew Locke. If he doesn't pan out this season, well, this would be his third season in the NFL. If he doesn't take that Josh Allen third-year leap, eventually you have to kind of cut ties with all the lies that we've been living in, to quote a song by Third Eye Blind. Oh, hey. You like that? Yeah. You like that? All right, Irishman900. Awesome draft insight. Love this podcast. Keep up to date with almost everyone I can. I almost ad- admittedly will take what I hear from this podcast and sneak into football conversations with friends. You nice. love to see that. I put on a few of them. I put a few of them onto the pod and they're t- entertained by it. Anyway, I'm a Minnesota sports fan, Payne, and had an initial thought for the Vikings. Suck it. Would Aziz Ojulari, uh, Georgia, is a good fit for us at DN in the first? Or, okay, is, would Aziz Ojulari be a good fit for us at DN in the first? Or is Osai or someone else a better fit? I'm not a huge Rousseau fan in the first, as he's still a bit raw to me. I'd pair one of those defensive ends with Eichenberg, Hudson, Little, maybe Cosme in the second round. Would would fill both needs for the Vikings. Mike, I know you don't like us purple people very much, but would you lo- would you grade the, that draft or do different? How would you grade that draft? Once again, I love the pod. Sorry, that was a complex question. And yeah, I butchered that it. one got away from us in terms of the reading there. But I think just if it is, Aziz Urgelari in the first. One, I think it's a little high for him. Two, has not been their type, but they did just trade for Yannick Ngakwe last year. But yeah. then just trade him away. Maybe they saw him and were like, oh, God, why do we go against our type? Got rid of him right away. But... They go for long. They go for power ends. That's kind of Mike Zimmer's defense. That was him. That was his defense even with the Bengals. So he wants two guys that he knows wholesale will stop the run. So I don't think Aziz Ojolari is a great fit for them. He has two guys that he can just trust to do that because they play so much too high coverages that they're really not using their safeties to stop the run that much. Like they add on, but their coverage first players in that Mike Zimmer defense, kind of part of his genius, some may say. So I think that's, I would go like a pay. I think would be the fit for them there in terms of he has that all-around skill set. Very similarly athletically and build-wise to, I just had the name. Daniel Hunter? Everson Griffin. Everson Griffin. Everson Griffin. So I think that would be where I would go if I'm them. Obviously, like Rousseau is also kind of of that long mold that can set an edge, but I'd go Quidipe. And so uh, how would I grade that draft? And to go tackle or offensive line in the second round, that's what you. That's what I would do. Mm-hmm. So A plus, love it. If I do that, you love to see that. You love to see. That. I definitely like Pay over Rousseau for them at their current pick, and I think it would be if Pay and Rousseau are both on the board. I would not go Aziz Ojulari up with both those guys because right. they yeah. they fit uh, they fit what the Vikings want to do yes. a lot better. And then going if they grab Sam Cosme or your guy Walker Little in the second, I mean you're looking at a nice piece there as well. I like an A plus draft for Minnesota. Again, I apologize for butchering that question asked by Irishman nine hundred on two bats for bats. Hey guys, love the podcast. Just started listening a month ago and has been can't miss ever since. My question is about Daniel Hunter. He has three years left on a team-friendly deal, but Ian Rapport seemed to hint on Twitter this fall that he will want a new deal in the Joey Bosa range. Add that to the Vikings' current financial commitments and him coming off a neck injury. I'm not sure the Vikings are in a spot to do that. What in terms of draft capital could Hunter bring back in the trade, and do you think the Vikings should explore trading him? If this if this were last offseason, I would think it I would think he'd have gotten at least one and a two Frank Clark trade. But coming off his injury and wanting a lot more money, my fear is trading him. The Vikings could be selling low. Yeah, they will be selling low because, one, obviously missing a whole season, but also it's like an unknown. Back injuries are not you rehab, you come back, and you're good. Back injuries are they could flare up yet again. That's, That's a recurring thing with the injury he had. So you would be basically kind of shooting yourself in the foot to a degree there in terms of just like his stock at the moment if you traded him. Now, someone would still trade you first for him, I would bet. But I think with his contract, it's so favorable that you, you, you have him come back and play. He's 27 years old. If he comes back healthy, back's not an issue ever again. You have him on an absolute steal of a deal. There's a reason why he's upset with this because it was one of the best like signing, best extensions. When it happened, everyone was like, oh my God, this is going to be a steal. Yes. So... Yeah, you kind of just call us bluff again. You're just like, hey, sorry, buddy. You've got three years left. <laughs> We're, we'd be insane to renegotiate at this point if you want to sit out. Especially coming off the injury. By all means. Like yeah. if he had a break, like not a breakout, but like a monster season this year, or like a 15, 16 sack season, high pass rush grade, then you could start to have the conversation. But now, right now, when his stock, like this guy said, is low, bats for bat said, is low, I don't think you can be in a position to where you want to do a contract negotiation. Imagine coming to the table. It's like, yeah, I'm coming off a back injury. What do you think about throwing you know, an extra 10 million per year my way? It's like, ah, I don't know about that, son. All right. Jay Dennis. 
Mailbag, short and sweet. Thoughts on North Texas wide receiver Jalen Darden as a prospect. Next question is also in the Jalen Darden. Mix. Oh, is it? Oh, this so. is from Ben Shimer or Shimmer. Who knows? This is my go-to source for draft information. Great podcast and my favorite of all PFF offerings. I was wondering what the analysis is analysis is on Jalen Darden in the mid-late rounds and why every corner's production is worse in Philadelphia. Darby, Douglas, grading well since leaving, Slay, Roby Coleman having underwent uh, having underwhelming years. So a two-part question. Let's start with Darden. Yes. So Darden, we've talked about. Obviously, we just call, called him one of the sleepers. Apparently, he's not a sleeper. Everyone's Wants all about him. him. Everyone wants him in the fourth round. Every single team. And I don't blame him because he's probably better than a fourth round sort of player. He's more realistically like a second round type of talent that, like I said, I think on the Monday pod or maybe it was the Wednesday pod. Whenever I said it, I said basically that he's not going to go that high because he's 174 pounds to play at North Texas. But the man is electric with the ball in his hands. He's a separator. Now, is if we're talking about those guys who are the slot guys in this class, there's that group that have a sort of similar sort of description role. and role that they'd play at the next level. You got Elijah Moore, you got Rondale Moore, you got Kadarius Tony, you have Darden, Darden, Tutu Atwell, Tutu Atwell, and I'd even throw in K Johnson, uh, K Johnson in that mix. Six guys of those, I think I'd rather have Rondale, Kadarius Tony. Elijah Moore, all before him, wholesale. And then maybe I'd probably go lean K. Johnson too. I just think he's a more polished receiver. Darden maybe a more explosive athlete. So those four, he's with Tutu Atwell. If he runs 4 2, he's going to go high because he played at Louisville also. So that's a lot of sort of guys with a similar skill set. There's not a lot of teams that are all going to want that skill set. So he will get pushed down, mm -hmm. I, I believe. And if that's a role in your offense, I would love to have him in like the fourth compared to having to reach on like a guy in the first with that, like a Kadarius Tony in the first. You can get a guy in the fourth with a similar skill set like that. Don't don't draft Kadarius Tony in the first. Yeah. I mean, that, that that's the thing with these guys, with Darden and Tutu Atwell specifically, and I throw Rondell Moore in there. Smaller guys mm -hmm. that have a ton of speed that are going to want, you're going to want to funnel pop passes, screens, and then like slot verticals. If you have a role in that for your offense to do that, and you're you like want to actively use a smaller receiver with speed in your slot, then you do it. But there's not every offense wants that. Yeah. Some offenses want to run a big slot that like is a possession type and do these isn't like a burner from the middle. But other offenses like the Chiefs want to run the Cole Harmon or Tyree Kill just burning up the sideline or a burning up down the middle of the field. So it really depends on your offense. But if you had to pick between those guys, I, I think I'd line up similarly to you, where Darden is one of the fourth or fifth best slot receivers in this class. And now, okay, to the Eagles question. One, I, I think they haven't had great players in that secondary. Darby's kind of MO over the course of his career, even going back to his time in Buffalo, is that he was super inconsistent. So great year one with the Eagles. Not as much down the stretch. Obviously, had some injuries too. Darius Slay actually graded out better with the Eagles than he did with the Lions. Like, he was not great the year prior to them trading for him now matt patricia not a lot of cornerbacks were great there with him so leave that as you may but that also goes back to kind of what i touched on with the at the top with craig williams defense you're putting guys especially at the cornerback position especially in coverage in positions to either succeed or fail a lot of the times like if you are in a favorable situation if you were playing for a good defensive coordinator who has a handle on like what the offense is going to run and where like how to attack it you'll just be in more favorable situations as a corner so if you're and, and so it does kind of come down to the coaching was an issue there and if it's that consistent over that long a period of time and that's why they got rid of the staff obviously next question comes from big dong benji which had coincidentally is also my tinder bio or in my tinder bio um but he actually cheated the system here he has three questions which is going to be you got to respect it. Guys that find ways to cheat the system, you have to respect He's it. got three legs and three questions. <laughs> three legs and three questions. All right. Love the pod, guys. Used to think Renner was a weirdo. Fair. Not very funny. But I've come to appreciate his sense of humor. And I have, too. I, I really get weirdo. Like, I feel like I pride myself on my normalcy. Like, I'm a normal guy. I don't know. I kind of agree with Big Dong. Weirdo? Austin, totally Not very judgmental. funny, I can see. I'm not that funny, but. 
Austin, totally judgmental, but based on the sound of your voice, I thought you were a total nerd, which I still think I am. I'm pretty nerdy. Boy, oh boy, was I wrong. Your stories are top notch. And the fact that you made it out of that home where you are now is simply astonishing. Cheers. People say that all the time, but my dad is a role model in that everything he's done, you can say, all right, I don't have to do that. Like, there's no way I'm doing that. There's, <laughs> he's like an anti-role he taught model. You, yeah. He taught me what, what not, not to do. do. Exactly. Um, always thought you guys draft stuff was elite. Never questioned that. Love the three pods week. Keep it up. Question one. Huge Ravens and draft season fan. I've been on the Pitts to Baltimore bandwagon for a couple months now. I can't see Pitts falling to us or EDC trading up to around 10 to 15 to snag him. In that case, who is another guy you feel confident has a legit shot to succeed in Greg Roman's middle school passing game that has more likely chance of being there at 27 and provides value at that spot? Let's start there. Rashad Bateman, I think would be the, that's who I would get. Catch radius guy, guy can get open on his own. That fits the bill. Is it a value at 27? And NFL may not be super high in him. I'm super high in him, so I think it's value at 27. There you go. Later on, not at 27. They didn't really ask us in the question, but guys that would fit that bill, Terrace Marshall, Seth Williams. Seth Williams? Later. Later on. How much later? <laughs> All right, question two. While it's unfair to call a player a bust after one season, there are players that don't play to the level that analysts may have expected for their rookie season. Who are some dudes in this year's draft that most for a significant portion of the draft community believes to be a surefire thing and will come in and produce right away that y'all believe have a significant potential to bust or just play nowhere near expectation right away. So he's talking about the 2021 class, people that are a guy that a lot of the draft community scouts are high on that maybe doesn't meet expectations, high expectations in year one. Yeah, I really, the top nine in this class, I feel really good about, I think are talented talented players so i don't think anyone i disagree with any of kind of the blue chip guys the people are seeing in blue chips penny sewell mike parsons i I, no like i think they i agree i'm I'm in agreement i was gonna say parsons really just because i feel like it's very that 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 transition from linebacker in college to linebacker in the nfl is very hard Mm -hmm. and you rarely see even the most talented linebackers like devin white devin bush patrick queen uh jordan brooks these guys come out and have a lot of success early on but it wouldn't be it wouldn't be that Micah Parsons is a bust after year one. But you could see him not living up to expectations. I mean, he's going to get drafted to be like Luke Keekley, you know, yeah. and he might not be Luke Keekley in year one or year two. I could see him not necessarily busting in year one, but not living up to what's going to be freaking lofty expectations. Yeah. Um, so, those, like I said, the top top of the class. But there's always kind of guys that you don't know. People in the NFL are super high on. Like I didn't know C.J. Henderson was going to go top ten last year i would have said him knowing that mm-hmm. like that that usually comes out later in the process that oh here's this guy i didn't know henry ruggs is going to be wide receiver one if you're telling me henry ruggs is going to be drafted wide receiver one yeah i'd be worried about him in that sort of conversation of assuredness so I, i'll say gregory Rousseau. if some team falls in love with him and top 10 pick whatever i'd be worried yeah he he did not beat college offensive tackles he beat college guards that's where he was winning the florida state game is yeah that's where he was winning at Miami. And what's he going to show up at the NFL? Like he said, he could like play in a weight range of like 40 pounds or whatever when we had him on the pod. But I'd just be worried. Didn't see him this past year. Only one year of college production. So that I'd be worried about him. And then Patrick Sertan, I hate to say it, like because he's so good at the cornerback position already. Like he's tech, technically sees the game really at a high level. I just like worry about his athleticism. Like you have to. Actually, it's the number one concern with him. Yeah. And that, yeah, you can make up for it at the NFL level, but it, I think it's getting harder and harder. Like Teams are scheming speed into, into favorable positions in the NFL more and more to where you just have to have speed to counter. Mm-hmm. You have to have the athletic traits to counter. So I'd be, I'd be a touch worried about him. I, I think Rousseau is a great answer. I mean, he only has played – one season and his redshirt freshman season that's the only season he's played collegiate football there at miami florida and we had him on the podcast earlier we're actually recording another interview with him later tonight that'll be on the monday episode talking to gregory Rousseau about where he is with his weight how he's done you know taking this entire season off how he's continued to improve it'll be fun to get Rousseau on the pod after the mailbag today we'll replay the tutu atwell interview as well if you didn't catch that at the top of the podcast last question from big donk benchy um raven's biggest needs pending free agency are wide receiver interior offensive line and edge i agree that it's not smart to shoehorn shoehorn your draft selections into picking positions of need with that being said do you guys agree the ravens with that ravens needs analysis in rounds two and three 
what what do you guys think will be there that could provide the Ravens with the most bang for their buck and have an opportunity to come in and produce right away with for a win now team? I don't think Edge is going to be great bang for a buck. Like they blitz enough that I don't think you need one on one guys necessarily in that defense. Interior offensive line though, they need like that could be bang for your buck. The path for this team, in my opinion, go get Kendrick Bowl. Green and Illini to a Super Bowl is you build the most dominant offensive line to pair with Lamar Jackson and J.K. Dobbins. And as much as we say we hate the run game, when you're the single, be- like when you're a juggernaut in the run game, unstoppable, it still wins in the NFL. You can still win, and that's that how you win with Lamar Jackson. And that's that's the thing. It, it, it's not that we hate the run game and you can't yes. run, but it, you, if you're going to build a winning football team, a Super Bowl winning football team with Lamar Jackson at quarterback, who is the least accurate quarterback since he was drafted into the NFL, according to PFF's charting, the only quarterback that's even close is Carson Wentz, and we know where he is right now. But Carson Wentz doesn't have the upside or the well, the upside. the athleticism that yeah. Lamar Jackson has, and the other things that he can bring to the table. I think you have to build a monster offensive line with Ronnie Stanley, with Orlando Brown, add to the interior, and then in, invest in the play-action game and do those yeah, things. Yeah, you'll get diminishing returns if you just keep investing in like receivers for Lamar Jackson because of just the way he operates past the game. That's why Pitts, man, when I first did that mock draft and had Pitts going to the Ravens, but that was when they were drafting a little bit earlier, that was an awesome selection. I don't think they'll have a chance at him, and I don't think you should trade up for him. Yeah. Trading up for a non-quarterback, you rarely see a positive return on investment. Like Not every trade like for a non-quarterback becomes Julio Jones. That would be a scary trip to take. All right, let's go to the next question here. Drew from New Hampshire. I absolutely love the show. It would be cool if Mike told more stories about being on the Bachelorette. You can't tell a lot of those, though. Yeah, so I got actually sent a notice you sign an nda when you go on saying you can't you're not going to divulge behind the scenes stuff and i got sent a notice after saying something about it on a podcast before that i was on so i'd be careful yes the stories that you have told me though are incredible yeah i mean there's good stories to be told but i got a lot of good stories to be told that cannot unfortunately be told on i'm in a similar boat i'm in a similar boat you think the stories about my dad and mom are crazy. My sister is also a wild card. I've got I've got stories for days. That's why we have to do a meetup or something. We yeah. gotta try and find a way to do a podcast because all my relationship stories are just like incredible. The videos too are, <laughs> are pretty good. All right. Uh, the current bachelor played wide receiver for Wake Forest. My real question is though about Jonathan Adams from Arkansas State. Have you seen his absurd contested catches? Where do you think he goes? Seems like a late day two guy. He's probably a day three guy. Um he's just not a great separator even against sunbelt competition like the contest catches love his highlight reel love his body control bigger dude if you're not separating against sunbelt corners that's kind of worrisome at that point but like i said day day three you can still win and, he, and he's big enough where his size will still translate like that can still translate his catch point work but yeah that's where i see him now Bengals question from in the valley texas coming from a small town guy coming from a small town guy who grew up in ohio i love hearing about the downtown life in the natty and all that it implies please keep us updated do you think it's better for the Bengals to take a tackle than Sewell in the first round and a receiver like terrace marshall in the second or jamar chase and a right tackle in the second pff has put team building on the top of my mind sewell if sewell's there you take penny sewell that's how good he is and i had not watched him again since the summer because he didn't play, he didn't play. and I like watched his whole tape and I was like whatever good and it kind of just like that that sort of the farther you get away from something you forget about it it kind of diminishes in your mind how good a guy was kind of brings it back towards average you regress in your mind how good a guy is or how bad a guy is and like Brandon Thorne the offensive line analyst great guy he does great work follow him on his uh website Started tweeting out clips of Penny Sewell again. I'm like, God damn, like, why did I completely forgot that he was an absolute monster and only 19 years old doing yes. physically some things that should not be done at the tackle position. So, yeah, I'm going to say it, DJ. I think you're a little crazy for admiration Slater above Penny Sewell. Penny Sewell is a freak of nature. You don't pass on Penny Sewell. I don't, I agree with you. Penny Sewell over Jamar Chase and everyone there. If Penny Sewell is there at five, the Cincinnati Bengals should sprint the card in. Yeah, where have, there were concerns is where you're taking Rashawn Slater at five and forcing that needed offensive tackle. That's where I feel like a Jamar Chase, if yeah. he's there and Rashawn Slater's there, yeah. where Chase makes more sense. But if Penesul is there at five, it's almost a no-brainer. And I would love to get Taylor Mouton in free agency. True. Go do that. Then move someone to guard. 
or trade for Trent Brown, and trade for Jake Matthews. I think there's opportunity to trade for some of these guys who maybe have somewhat bloated contracts for teams that are trying to get some cap space. Like, yeah. I think you can make significant upgrades at tackle and along the interior offensive line in the offseason via trades and free agency. And that's what you need to do. Because I'll tell you right now, as good as Panay Sewell is, and I think he's you know one of the best offensive tackle prospects we've seen, that offensive line isn't getting solved with just him. And it can't just be other rookies you draft. You can't go tackle and then another tackle in the second, then two into your offensive linemen on day three. That's not going to solve it. You need veterans. You need guys that have proven production in the NFL. Go get a guy like Jake Matthews, Trent Brown via trade, or sign Taylor Moton, or Trent Williams even. Trent Williams is a free agent this offseason. That's another guy that I think could have some success. All right. This is another Bengals question. Huge fan of the pod. This is from Jay underscore Geyser. After listening to the last mailback question about what the Bengals should do at five between Sewell and Chase, which I don't think is that one, but what if the Bengals sign an offensive tackle like Moton? Does that nail down the decision for what they do at five between Chase and trade back? Oh, shit. We meant to ask questions together. We should ask them together. <laughs> that's I, right. I, I suck. Uh, yeah, that's what I was saying. Oh, that's why I answered this one because I was reading it while you were, I wasn't even listening to you. That's what, yeah. So if, even if they sign the Taylor Moton, you draft Panay Sewell. Yeah. So, like I said, someone's moving to guard. If it's Chase versus Slater, then obviously you're going Chase mm-hmm. at that point, I think I believe. But yes, if you even have if you sign Taylor Moton, bringing in Panay Sewell at five is good. Yes. Cool. All right. Now down to JDG983. How many offensive tackles in this class are projected to be a franchise left tackle? I see many prospect overviews that say a prospect ceiling is a good right tackle. But as a Colts fan, I'm wondering, especially if there is an Anthony Costanzo replacement in the second round, even if that guy needs a year to develop. Left tackle, right tackle, stupid. You can either play tackle or you can't. So, the ones I feel good about, Panay Sewell, Rayshon Slater, Christian Darisaw, Virginia Tech. That's the, that's the tier of guys where, obviously Sewell's in his own tier, but if you're drafting them, I would expect them to come in and play good, at, well at tackle year one. Guys who are close to that tier, guys who I could see getting there very soon, being quality starters like somewhat early on in their career. Tevin Jenkins of Oklahoma State. Walker Little of Stanford, kind of a wild card tier on his own. Sam Cosme of Texas, Dylan Radens. I was saying Redunds this whole someone so corrected me. I trusted Whatever. you with Redunds. I mean, who cares? Sorry. Radens cares. Radens cares, I know. People did care. I, I apologize. That's that tier. Next one is the kind of just don't feel as good about as that tier, but they're they're also close in their own right, have some have the tools to do it. Alex Leatherwood. Alabama, Jack Carmen of Clemson. And then the, I put this guy in his own tier who's just like limited but solid. Like you're just like probably not getting I like much that upside. Tier. This Liam I Mikenberg. think that's the tier. Liam Meikenberg of Notre Dame. He's just like, he's just like you, you, can, you can play him. Then you're not going to, he's not going to be a liability, but you can do better. I put myself in the limited but solid tier. Um, but I do feel like to go back to his question, I, I think it makes sense to attack Sewell high. I think he's one of those guys. But I think in de- uh, towards the back end of the first and the top of the second, getting a guy that has maybe upside's not the right word, but potential to be good is Walker Little and Sam Cosme, two guys on day two that I feel really confident in yeah. bringing them in on day two and them developing in a year to better offensive tackles. All right, jumping now to, should Steve's we answer question. Steve's question? Steve just broke into the freaking studio. Steve, you're cheating the system. What's your question? Very important here. Do you guys buy into the theory that Les Sneed is employing here, that that first-round picks are overrated, that he'd rather have players, especially if the picks are in the 20s? So the fact that they're not going to draft in the first round, draft picks versus players, especially if the picks are in the 20s. So if you didn't hear that, okay. Steve is asking Les Snead's strategy to trade away first-round picks, especially if they're in the 20s, for v- proven veteran players in the NFL. He's doing that. I mean, he's not going to have a first-round pick from, what, 2017 to 2023, something along those lines. What is your opinion of that? What, what, what's your opinion on Les Snead? So I will say there's one kind of underrated aspect of trading for a guy who's already signed a contract, whether that was, I believe, Brandon Cooks fell into that boat. Obviously, Matt Stafford falls into that boat. The cap hit is a lot less. You're saving cap space when you trade for a guy and don't have to give him that signing bonus. You're saving money also as a franchise by not having to shell out that mm-hmm. signing bonus. And so Matt Stafford is going to cost them well below market value against their cap at the quarterback position. So that is one underrated aspect of those guys are trading. Now, that's not the case for when you trade for Jalen Ramsey and then have to give him a big extension, you know, trade for Jamal Adams. But if you trade for guys who are already on that contract that you didn't have to give that signing bonus to, there is some cap relief there. So I'm 
all four moves like that. At the same time, it's it's a strategy based off of where you are as franchise. I don't think the Rams are close enough that I, that I'm all in on the first round picks who are overrated. You need cheap talent is how you win Super Bowls. Somewhere you have to have cheap talent. You cannot just build through second year contract. You're like second contract guys. So I am of the opinion that it is a limited window strategy. I, I think I would argue that first round picks are still overrated. I think they are overrated in some ways, but I do think that in this situation, it depends on who you're trading for. Cause like Matthew Stafford for what two first round picks. And I know they're getting, getting out of that Jared Goff contract. Like is Matthew Stafford is not significantly better than what they had in Jared Goff, in my opinion, like not, not two first round picks better. And I think that's where the concern in the strategy is when you start to force it. Cause like Jalen Ramsey was likely worth what they traded him for. And there's other players that you bring in that like Brandon cooks, when they had him, I thought was worth what they traded for. But when you get into the situation where you keep doing it and you keep trying to force these first round picks to find talent on those second contracts, second and third contracts, Forcing it for a Matthew Stafford, I feel like, is where you're you're maybe overthinking things because I don't think they were a Matthew Stafford away necessarily. Yeah. I think they were, I mean, a lot of a lot of other things away. I mean, also look at this was also kind of the Texans' strategy. The Texans did this. Yeah, the Texans ended up with a better quarterback. Yeah, and the Texans are why you don't. But again, it's they who, they traded for Larry Tunsil. They traded like two two three draft picks for Larry Tunsil, and that is the guy that's not making your team like significantly better. Like yeah. you have to when you're making these decisions to trade multiple first-round picks for a single player. Because think about the value you get in two first-round picks. First-round picks are overrated, right? But if you trade two first-round picks for a single player to bring that positive return on investment, that player needs to be significantly better than what you could bring in for two picks in the first round. And that's just so hard to do, especially at left tackle. At quarterback, it's a different conversation. But I don't know. Matthew Stafford, I don't know how much better he's going to be than Jared Goff. You spoke about this on the Monday episode where it's like Jared Goff at his peak was damn good. And Matthew Stafford at his peaks is very good as well. But what are you getting in this offense? It'll be interesting, but it's an interesting conversation for sure. Thanks for um, the question, Steve. Thanks for the question, Steve. Thank you, guys. Good answer. All right. Jumping now to from Steve Palazzolo to Blakey Swag 11. I have a two-part question for you. Choose which one or both. We'll do both. Which prospect at each position would benefit from going back to school and entering 2022 draft? I'm not going to do each position. That would be nuts. That's a lot. I'm going to do one on offense, one on defense. The one on offense we touched on, Davis Mills from Stanford. He had 10 starts over the course of his college career. Not a ton of, you know, NFL talent around him offensively. Obviously, Simi Foko, whatever. But I just thought if he came back another year, he could be getting a lot more buzz than he's getting now. Defensively, I'm going to go with Rashad Wild Goose, Wisconsin cornerback. Been starting since his true freshman year there. Started true freshman year, true sophomore year. He's played outside and in the slot there. Got hurt this past year. Declared for the draft. And the reason being for this, I, it's kind of like I would want him to come back to school, but then also transfer. Because you watch this guy play man coverage when he is one-on-one, and that is his only job. He's damn good. Not a lot of guys have a man coverage skill set. Not a lot of guys have that level of athleticism. Those sort of movement skills, when you do, it shows off tape right away. And I will let you, loyal listeners, go to the draft guide, the update on Monday. You'll see his stats in man coverage over the course of his career. They're insane. But he's played about 100 snaps in man coverage over the course of his career. Yikes. He is not. Wisconsin is a zone-heavy defense. A lot of times he is not going one-on-one with guys, and that is not his skill set. That is not where he wins. So if he went back and it, I even wrote in the draft guy, I said, if he played at Ohio State, we could be talking about, he'd be talked about in a better light than Shad Wade right now. This guy would be talked about as a wow top few round picks, I believe, because he's that talented, but he just, you just almost never got to see it because he's playing the slot in zone coverage. My answer was going to be, even though like I, I'm kind of like battling with it, would be Gregory Rousseau, only because you only saw one year. But to be fair, you're not drafting Gregory Rousseau for his production, you're drafting him because he's an absolute freak. But I do think. Say, say COVID didn't exist, which would be great for a lot of reasons, but, and he played this year as a retro sophomore and you saw legitimate production from him, he would be unquestionably the, the edge one. You yeah. know, if you saw him play purely along the edge for Miami and win consistently, like maybe not Chase Young levels, but like 80% of what Chase Young did, then you're talking about a top five pick in this class. However, he's still going to get drafted inside the top 20 picks because he is this freak athlete. So I don't know necessarily that that extra 15 picks is worth coming back for your redshirt junior season, especially after taking an entire year off of football. Because if he comes back 
and doesn't play well, then you're in a position where, which is also likely, then you're in a position where you're falling a little bit further than you would. Second question from Blinky Swag 11. Zayvon Collins is definitely top three on my hashtag fun to watch list, which you love to see. Where does he rank for you, and where do you think he ends up? He's one of the fastest sideline to sideline linebackers in all of college football and reminds me of an unpolished Isaiah Simmons. All right, we'll do fun to watch rankings next week. I like it. We'll lead off the Monday pod, barring no other big news like a Super Bowl happening <laughs> with the fun to watch rankings. But he's 31st on our draft board. I think he goes in the first round because he's got a unique skill set. Kind of the top of the linebacker class are all guys who have very different, you know. Uh, Michael Parsons is very different from Jeremiah Wuskoromo, who's very different from Zayman Collins, who's very different from Nick Bolton. So if you want a guy who is a 260-pound linebacker that can blitz like a dog and also play his own coverage, you're not going to find that guy in the fourth round. No. If that's a guy that's going to fit in your scheme, you got to get him first. It's going to be it's a limited skill set that doesn't exist a lot of places. So I think it was in the first. And the fit, I would say, is Pittsburgh Steelers would be a team that could be in use of a guy like that with how blitz-heavy they are, what they ask their linebackers to do. Now, they also have a few other needs this offseason, but if I had to say one team, you know, pick one out of a hat right now, that's where i pick. We got to get him on the pod because his story's got to be wild. Remember, he's the guy that's from that Hominy, Oklahoma, didn't have any offers outside of Tulsa. And uh, that, that town has 3,000 people entirely in the entire freaking city. Yeah. And he played every single position in high school. I think he even punted and kicked for that high school and obviously goes to Tulsa and has a ton of success. I'm excited to see where he goes in the NFL and how he's used. And I think you hit on something I wanted to touch on further. You know, people talk about positional needs, like we need help at linebacker. The diversity of skill set at linebacker in this class, specifically at the top, is absurd. Like you're getting a lot of different types of guys. Like Bolton is not anywhere near what Micah Parsons and Zayvon Collins bring to the table. And Jeremiah Wusukormo is almost in a um, tier of his own right because he barely even played inside the box last year. I mean, a ton of in the slot, ton of deep safeties, that type of stuff. Where um, he not a ton of deep safety, but he played more than other linebackers did. Rover, rover, the rover. No, it's like I hate when every college has their stupid name for what they call it, the Viper. The Rover. Jack. San Diego State had a similar, I think it was called like the Warrior or something the like warrior. that. The Warrior yeah. position. All right. It's, it's let's boy. jump now to CTK0. Great pod, provides awesome insight and stats that are very eye opening. His question is Thoughts on Davis Mills? Haven't seen him ranked on the PFF board, if I recall correctly. Watching him, he looks more physically talented than a guy like Trask and a better processor than Mac Jones. But that Stanford offense, Pac-12 COVID response, and other factors have prevented him from perhaps the breakout year he needed. We've talked a ton about Davis Mills of late. Yes, we have. And it's because I didn't watch him until he declared because, shit, I didn't think a quarterback with like 10 starts in his career was going to declare. You know, like I just didn't expect. Trey Lance to declare. It was kind of like I didn't watch a lot of JT Daniels either because I didn't expect JT Daniels just to declare after, you know, really one season. So, I like I said, I really liked what I saw. I think he's... We talk about that top six of guys. I, I think he would be seven right now. That top six obviously being Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, Mac Jones. Wait, is it six? Trey Lance and Kyle Trask. And then I think he would be seven. Wow. Right. Seven. Not Jamie Newman. That's more saying there's just not a lot of other talent in the quarterback class. Fair. So. That's that's pretty fair. All right. Jumping now to Wars Trek. Love the pod. Giants fan, we need an edge. I think the best one will be Jason Owe of Penn State. How far could they trade back and still get him in the first? So Montez Sweat went 26, right? Back when Washington drafted him. Yep. Him and Dwayne Haskins in that same draft, right? Yeah. And they traded up for him. And he had some like injury or something. People were saying he was falling off field. I don't I don't know what it was, but he was like a late fall in the draft. I don't think he Owe with his physical skills, this tape. I don't think he goes past 26. So don't trade past 26. I think early 20s would be a safe bet. They could probably still get away because he's not, his tape's not utterly He's kind dominant. of a sleeper right now. We didn't mention him on the sleeper list, but like not enough people are talking about Jason Oway. And I think it's because of the sack production. Like he didn't yeah. have a ton of sacks in college. Did not have a sack this past year. Oh, man. Which, concern. Whatever. All right. Still, still, still up on the tape, as I said. Like, Pop on the tape. Cut on the tape, like Jeffrey Akuta said that one time. J- cut on the tape again. Jaron. Ben 10 with like 17 ends. If I could substitute this podcast for air, I would. These guys know more about the NFL draft prospects than anyone doing it right now. Austin is all around hilarious, insightful commentator with a certain magnetism. You don't find many places. Damn, I couldn't I couldn't freaking dream for that review from some of these dates. Dude, put that in your Tinder bio in quotes and then say 
Jaron Brenton. That's 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 solid. That's Spell it correctly too, with all the ends. With all the ends. ends. Mike is awesome, crazy smart, and well researched too. Even though he gives off a guy who tries to kick you off his friend's boat vibes. You you do give off those vibes. You're like this pretty boy. Well, sometimes. if a guy came out of my friend's boat and he wasn't allowed, I'd kick him off. You're. <laughs> <laughs> All right. If any of these sports networks put these guys on there, their ratings would triple. All right. Uh, number one, could you rank the importance of each member of the offensive line? I know we've come a long way from left tackle as the most important position on the field, but I've never gotten a clear reading on where each position fits on the totem pole. Okay. So it depends, in my opinion, on your division. If you're oh, wow. in a division with Von Miller, right tackle is more important. If you're, you know, if you're in a division where the best rushers or on one side, that t- that side of the line is more important. You Fair. want the guy that's going to shut down those guys. If, Like I said, if you're in a division where all the guys are rushing against the right tackles, your right tackle is more important. There is nothing inherently more valuable about left or right. One, yes, okay, left tackle will lead to more sack fumbles. Right tackle will lead to more impactful pressure, though, because that's where your quarterback can see. Mm-hmm. Quarterback is seeing it come into his face. A bull Very rush true. from the left side, your left tackle is getting worked back. Quarterback throws the ball. He doesn't know that ever happened. So there's reason to believe that they're all things, you know, all things being equal of who you're facing, that left tackle and right tackle are equally sort of valuable. Then I believe center to be the most valuable after that because it's one, it can lead to the most negative plays in terms of like bad snaps, line calls. They're in charge of making all that. So like it's the the most where you need the most trusted sort of player at the center position. And then after that, the guard tackle is the guard that is away from your best tackle is the more valuable guard. Fair. The guard that's next to your best tackle is the lesser valuable guard. That makes sense. I like that tier. I like that totem pole. That's how you do it. Uh, Brenton was also a twofer. He asked two questions. Are there any not yet declared UNC prospects you like? I know Sam Howell is awesome, and if you could give a comp, that would be great. But I'd like to know what, uh, who to watch with all the talent leaving for the draft. I'm oh, glad shit. you put my guy in here, Storm Duck. Yeah, I'm fuck. I missed the I missed the comp part of the question. Well, would you comp Sam Howell? I'll comp off the top. Of He's my head. a physical dude. I haven't watched enough of him, but some yeah. of the some of the you games I did watch, he had, who physically, Jake Locker. Oh wow, that's bad. More accurate, Jake Locker. <laughs> I mean, just like this guy's how he's crying. Built. Jack Brenton's literally crying right now. <laughs> how he's built, how he throws, way put like Jake Locker vibes. Now Jake Locker was inaccurate as hell, and that was back when kind of like everyone started to decide, oh, shit, we need quarterbacks in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Like that goes, what, 11? Yeah. And everyone's just like, oh, God, we need. That like- was the same draft Ponder went, right? Christian Ponder yeah. went high? It was uh, Gabbert. Is it Gabbert draft? I think it was Gabbert draft. Someone should know. We should know. It's our job. <laughs> um, but Storm Duck. Yes. I love Storm Duck, dude. I really was talking about him. I thought he was going to be eligible for this year's class, and I thought he would have been in it. But, man, I love watching his tape. He's awesome. Only two games this past year, four pass breakups in two games. Dude, he's good in man coverage. He's Sticky, good. man. Yeah. I really like Storm, so Storm Duck. Duck and he's got a great name. Good. And then, a little later on, Tony Grimes, the freshman, who reclassified. One of my favorite stories. And then the starting. Should have been a senior high school starting for North Carolina. Oh, what? Yeah, five-star oh. cornerback. That guy's – I mean, that in and of itself <laughs> was sick. Like, that guy's – the guy's a legend for that alone. I'm drafting him highly in two years, no matter what. That's maybe awesome. not no matter what, but <laughs> I'm, he's already very high on my board because of that. All right. This is from Mark Anthony Garaguso. Garaguso? Love the podcast. You guys have taught me so much about football. Thank you for that. My question is about the Bills. As a Bills fan, the AFC Championship was hard to watch. Fair. Yeah. They had a few answers on defense to slow the Chiefs. They had few answers on defense to slow down the Chiefs. How would you guys recommend the Bills to improve their defense to slow down the Chiefs next year and who they could draft to accomplish this? Can I start? Yeah. How you slow down the Chiefs? More points. Okay, I, I, I'm sorry. It's it, you're, Trying to draft to stop the Kansas City Chiefs is a fool's errand, in my opinion. Yes, I you can always... that answer. No, no that is the right answer. You can't... You can always make moves to improve your defense, but at a certain point, the better offense wins. And I think you need to score 40-plus to beat the Chiefs. The only team to beat the Chiefs this year scored 40-plus, and it was the Las Vegas Raiders. And that defense is one of the worst in the NFL, if not the worst in the NFL. How you beat the Chiefs is you score 40. Big plays. You need explosive plays. I think you invest in the offensive line, more receivers, continue to run it. If the Packers hadn't played the Bucs this year, you'd be saying the same thing, though, about the Packers. you got to score points. There is ways to stop these guys. How do you stop the Chiefs? Load up on cornerbacks. All right. Load up on cornerbacks. I do think that is where the weakness is for the Bills defense. Can't have Teron Johnson. Like you, you can't have Teron Johnson go up to the line of scrimmage to try to press coverage and Tyreek Hill. 
Is that more scheme or talent, though? I mean, there's not a single slot cornerback in the NFL that could press against Tyreek Hill. But he could do better than Tron Johnson. Fair. I say, like, you, you cannot, you have to have the horses to go toe to toe. Mm-hmm. Just have to. So load up. You Get got one. You up. got one. You got one guy, Travis White, that can go toe to toe with pretty much any receiver in the NFL. Go get another. How great would that defense be if you got another? And then maybe another. How think about that like third. Dude, what guy. if they got another? <laughs> Double it. <laughs> I like it, dude. I like it. I'm just saying. I still think if you they, had two Tredavis Whites, think about how good that defense would be. Yeah. And how you could match dude, up. Uh, here, here's a question. Here's an answer. That is what if they that's had three? what the that's what the Ravens <laughs> strategy has been. They keep drafting cornerbacks. They they weren't fine with just having Jimmy Smith, Marlon Humphrey. And they, they lose trade, in the postseason because they can't they trade score. for Marks Peters. Yeah, they, tra- they they slowed down the Bills. You know? Mm-hmm. They slowed There's down the Bills. There's also wind offense. in that game. Okay, but I'm just saying, they that is that's the strategy. All right. So the Bucks did in the NFC. That's your strategy if you want to stop them. And if you're not going to have if you don't have Patrick Mahomes, if you don't have a juggernaut offense, and like I would say, like there is a limit to your offense if you don't have an elite elite quarterback. Mm-hmm. Not everyone's going to have one. We keep saying, you know. Go find one. You have to get there's them. There's only a few. Yeah. You know, there's only a few. <laughs> That's a good take. And there's a and your caps like 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 I've said, like the diminishing returns to your offense of adding more talent, like giving Mitch Trubisky, Julio Jones, isn't gonna make Mitch Trubisky any much that much better. Fair. Sadly. He's still Mitch Trubisky. So but adding another cornerback makes your defense like does do that to your defense. Keep him going on that side of the ball. So, so your answer is add four more Tredavious Whites, and I think they'd be in a really good spot. Shots at Tredavious Whites. All right. Yes. <laughs> All right. Uh, Will Cass. Hey guys, love the pod. I know it's early, but what can Sam Howell improve on? Improve upon next season? We just had, we just talked about Sam Howell again. It's early, but where do you rank him amongst the QBs in 2022? How annoying will it be when he gets compared to Mitch Trubisky? And who do you think <laughs> will be the first to say that horrendous take? What? I, how come I have an answer written down for just not this question? Yeah, you're you screwed the pooch here. I don't know what I did here. I missed this question. We'll get to this question next time. Okay. Yeah, Apologies. we'll push this question next time. <laughs> I can do that. All right. Next question. Sykes won. These guys always get to the point and go through exactly what they say are going to go through. Wow. I wasn't expecting that. We kind of ramble on the stories at the start, but we do kind of chug through as we move forward. Yeah. But this one again, Sykes won. Watching how Tua played this year, what would you do in the 2021 draft to accelerate his development? This is a good question. Mm-hmm. To make him a no-brainer quarterback one. Assuming they don't trade away the number three pick, I would be okay with getting taking... Devontae Smith, even purely because of the chemistry. Yeah, I think this offense, you got Jakeem Grant, you got Devontae Parker. Nice ancillary pieces, missing the stud, missing missing the one, missing the guy you trust to get open no matter what. So I, I think that's where you go early. Now, any of the top three will do. You don't need to, you don't need a Devontae Smith versus Waddle versus Chase. Yes, one of them. Take <laughs> one. So staying at three, it's kind of like last year's tackle class. Staying you're the Giants staying at four doesn't make a ton of sense. If that's if you're just going to go in that class, because any of them are fine. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I think if someone is desperate, someone wants one of the quarterbacks, someone wants Penny Sewell, make a move, mm-hmm. let him come, come up down. and get it. You know, the Bengals might be that team that really needs Penny Sewell and goes up and makes a move. So call the phones. Nothing's there. Yeah, probably. I mean, Jamar Chase three would be where I'd go. And then hopefully an office lineman in free agency. I would hopefully attack on free agency. Obviously easier said than done at that position. But two more offensive linemen to this line. You just can't, not only for starter position, but also for depth yeah. if they're not going to start. Injuries always happen along the offense line. They're still dangerously thin. My ideal, Landon Dickerson in the second, Alabama center. Ben Cleveland in the third. Oh, yeah. the B, that, that offensive line can thump. Robert Hunt, Ben Cleveland, Landon Dickerson, Solomon Kinley. That's the most physical offense line in the NFL in a couple of years. That would be when they were, you know, Hang a banner. Growing up. Yeah. You can do some things with that O-line. So I think, I think they're a good landing spot. You talk about wide receiver, and I think they should go after a chase, a, a Waddle, a Smith in the first. Go get Allen Robinson. Go get Allen Robinson in free agency and add him to this offense in addition to a receiver in the draft. Like, go throw the kitchen sink at Bill. Because this is that's the Josh Allen, Buffalo Bills, Brandon Bede method. They went and threw, they got Cole Beasley, John Brown, yeah. Stefan Diggs. They added uh, Dawson Knox in the draft. They, they even signed Tyler Croft. Like, they were, they were like, we're going to give this guy every single weapon we can find to try and make, you know, what this guy says, Sykes won, quarterback, quarterback one, no brainer. Mm-hmm. 
you at least have to try to do it. And it's what the Denver Broncos tried to do with Drew Locke. Like, they tried to mirror that model, adding Jerry Judy, K.J. Hamler, Albert Okui-Bunam, Noah Fant. They were trying to—Cortland uh, Sutton. They even have um, the Penn State guy. Deshaun uh, Hamler? You just said that. No, no, the other Penn State guy. Oh, Deshaun Hamilton. Deshaun Hamilton. Like, they are trying to actively add pass catchers Deshaun. and weapons yeah. to go help Drew Locke. That's exactly what the Miami Dolphins need to do if— they're not going to swing the bat on a quarterback, which I don't think they are at this point. All right, let's keep moving here. Last question, and then we got to push the rest to next week and get to the 2-2 Atwell interview. Last one here from Rod Kimball 222. What the what a tease for the 2-2 Atwell interview. Oh, 2-2-2 Atwell is what his name is. Yeah. Rod Kimball 222. What would you what would be your opinion on the career trajectory of Zach Wilson in these different landing spots? Jets, Panthers, and 49ers. Please take into account the GM and the coaches. We've seen how huge a difference a good GM in comparing Josh Allen with Brandon Bean or pairing Josh Allen with Brandon Bean and Sam Darnold with being stuck with trash. <laughs> Landing spots are everything. Jordan sure. Palmer. This guy's a longtime listener to the oh, pod. Yeah. You'll love to see it from Rod Kimball. Also, really hoping for a free draft guide. If he hasn't got one yet, I'll one. find my DMs. I'll yeah. see if I can send this guy one. All right. Jets, I trust Salah and Lafleur to get it done. Now, it's not going to be great. That's probably the worst situation of the three in terms of immediate surrounding talent. But i that's a very good coaching staff right in place right now, I believe. I'm of the opinion of that. So, and honestly, all three of these situations are good. Panthers, obviously got Joe Brady. It's great because he could sit year one. He doesn't have to get thrown to the fire. Now, they need offensive line help. I, I think they'd put the pieces around. They obviously have the receiving talent to do so. So, I think that would be a little bit better than the Jets, although maybe Jets is more of a long-term success situation mm -hmm. considering their coach staff. 49ers, these are the best situation. Absolutely. That's where you want to go. <laughs> they got the receiving talent for days, offensive line, solid, assuming they re-sign Trent Williams. That's where you want How to go. How awesome would it be if Shanahan can get up Not to two and trade for Zach? But I truly think those are all good situations. Now, you want to talk about bad landing spots maybe lions maybe if like the uh dolphins go dolphins draft him and you're kind of in this odd quarterback situation if they yeah, still have be two on the roster spot. roster with still a bad offensive line those would be rough I, I think even the falcons could be a good situation if they keep matt ryan if they if he goes to the falcons though and they trade matt ryan Mm, that, that wouldn't be a great situation either. All right, that's going to do it for the mailbag episode. We have like 10 questions that will roll over to next week. Make sure if you want your question answered in the future, go to Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star review, and ask a question. We'll get to it. We'll eventually get to it. Joe Didi, Skolthun, um, EM Life Ford 17, A Woods 13. We're going to get there next week. Don't you worry. We will get there. But for now, let's go ahead and jump to the 2-2 Atwell interview. PFF and Sunday Night Football's Chris Collinsworth is teaming up with one of the best players on and off the field, 49ers All-Pro cornerback Richard Sherman. The Chris Collinsworth podcast featuring Richard Sherman is available now wherever you find your podcasts. They will provide the most interesting football conversation in sports every single week. And sometimes that means the discussion will venture off the field too. Additionally, Chris will be taking a dive into the game of football as he sees it, inviting the best and brightest to talk about everything that is happening in the great game of football. Mark your calendars. You do not want to miss the best 60 minutes of insight this season. Thrive Fantasy is a daily fantasy sports and esports app for player props. With Thrive, you can eliminate the countless hours of research and focus on only the top tier athletes that have the biggest impact on the game. Thrive has a free $1,000 contest and over $30,000 in guaranteed prizes for the big game. Use promo code PFF when you sign up today and you will receive an instant match up to $50 on your first deposit. Download Thrive Fantasy on the App Store or Play Store or by visiting their website at www.thrivefantasy.com. Sign up and prop up today. Joining the Two for One Drafts podcast is none other than Louisville Whiteout, our guest former Louisville Whiteout, Tutu Atwell, the the man, the myth, the legend, really. You know, coming out of Florida, this dual threat quarterback, three star, four star recruit with four two speed. You know, you, you you talk a big game, Tutu. You got four two speed. This guy that's faster than anybody he's played with. It's great to have you on the podcast, man. Uh, thanks for having me, Austin. How you doing? Doing good, dude. Just working through it, working through the draft, man. I want to talk and start with your season this past year. Obviously, in 2019, you, you broke out. You had a 
monster season for the Louisville Cardinals in 2019. Over 1,200 yards, you know, more than 10 TDs. And then this past year, battled some injuries a little bit, ended up missing the last two games with Louisville. Talk to me about the injuries you went through in 2020 and if any are still lingering. Where, where, your, where is your health right now? Uh, my health right now, I'm 100%. Uh, I'm just gradually getting back into the process of running and everything like that. But I'm good and ready to go right now. And going back to that, you know, that breakout season that I spoke to, you know, one of the highest graded receivers in all of college football, according to PFF, really big from a yards after the catch perspective. But when you were recruited to Louisville, you were recruited as just an athlete. I know you were a dual threat quarterback in, in high school. I think it was at Northwestern there in Florida. But you moved to receiver very quickly at Louisville. And then 2019 had this kind of breakout season. Your role largely pop passes, screens, digs, slot vertical. What what went into that breakout season? What really led to you kind of popping off in college in 2019? Uh, just uh, just me, just getting just Coach Satterfield, just getting the ball in my hands and me doing what, what I had to do for the team uh, as my part. Um, it was just it was really it wasn't really that hard, but I had to just I, I learned the plays and got everything correctly. And Coach uh, Satterfield trusted me in his offense, and he just let me do the job and and then went from there. You know, how much of an adjustment was it going from high school playing largely quarterback to moving to wide receiver? And I know a, a lot of what you were doing in Louisville, a lot of scheme targets, getting screens, getting the ball in your hands quickly. Was there a bit of a learning curve or did you pick things up relatively quickly? Um pretty much uh, like you say I was a quarterback. I mean, before I, before I going to college, I worked on a little wide receiver work, but it wasn't that much as in okay, now I got it down pat. I mean, I had, when I got there, I learned some things from uh, Dez and Sevdem and uh, Jalen Smith. And I, I, I watched those guys, and I picked up a little of their game. But um, it, wasn't, it, wasn't really that, it wasn't really that hard. It was just something easy that I picked up quick. Where, where do you see your role in the NFL? And obviously, you know, coaches are going to dictate that for you. But from your perspective, where do you see having the most success? Is it working from the slot? Is it running certain route concepts? I'd be interested to know how you feel like you're used at your best in the NFL. Uh, I mean, I could, I mean, I could do it all. Now. I mean, I feel like I could do it all. I could, I could line up outside, but mostly in slot. But I feel like I could play outside and do a couple routes from there and just to get the ball in my hands. Yeah, so. Do Doing it all is probably the right answer there for sure. I, I know, you know, a big question in this pre-draft process is going to be, you know, surrounding your size. Listed at five foot nine, 160 pounds. And people, you know, I think the number one thing to ask is how do you overcome not being the biggest receiver out there on the football field? What do you need to do to kind of still win at the line of scrimmage, still beat press coverage, all those things that kind of come with being a bigger receiver at your size? What more do you need to work on to kind of overcome that? Um, Pretty much route running, um, but... I mean, when I go on the field and I don't worry about size and who bigger than me and this and that. All I just worry about is playing my position and what I do, what I got to do, beat my defender. I mean, I go out there with a mindset, man, as in nobody can't stick me. Uh, and I just play fast. Uh, where does that mindset come from? Because I know you have a really you know, good relationship with your parents, and you talked with them throughout this process about your decision to not play at Wake Forest. I know you're also battling injuries there as well. What, talk to me more about your motivation and that, where that mindset comes from to where you're just the best player on the football field every single time. I mean, pretty much my dad, um, he always in my ear, day in, day out. Um, even in the games, halftime, he in my ear. You know, I always look at my phone during halftime. He always got something. He he, he going to always have a message for me at halftime. So I just look at it from there and I just go. I mean, I, that's where I get my mindset from. Um, my mom keep me going too as well. I mean, just my parents, they, they both involved. So they're the ones and the reason why I play how I am now. Your dad too is, is Tutu Atwell Sr. Where does the nickname come from? Where does the Tutu nickname come from? Because I know your uh, your first name or what you were born with was Chartarius, but where does Tutu come from? I mean, yeah, it, it really got passed down from from him. Nice. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, so it just, I just stuck with it. Yeah, your son's probably going to be Tutu Atwell III then. Who's, uh, who knows where you'll end up there? <laughs> um, that's awesome, man, that you do have that support from your family, and they've helped you get to the place that you are now. And I know you're down there in Florida training with Exos, working for the Combine. Did you get an invite to the virtual Combine? I know it's a weird season where the combine's not necessarily going to be in Indianapolis, but they still are handing out invites. 
Uh, yes, I have got an invitation. So working day or Nexos, is there any specific goals you're setting for yourself? Goal weight, goal 40 time. I know, I know you can run in the four twos. I want to hear it from you, man. What, what, where, where are we heading here? Um, right now I'm, I'm working on uh, my weight right now. Um, trying to get them extra few pounds on right now. Uh, I mean, it, it's, it's something, it's something that I've been doing since I've been in college and I'm not going to see it as easy. It's very hard to gain a, a lot of weight. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm trying my best right now to, to pick a couple pounds on day by day. But another one is just working on my route running. And the last thing is the 40. So I pretty much want to run a good time so teams can look at me. But I know I know what I can do. So I know in the past that you've been clocked at a 427. Is that a good time for you at the combine? I'm interested to know kind of what numbers you have in your head. Uh, I mean, uh, low four three four two. That's 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 good time for me. Um, mm-hmm. But I really want to run a four two. But hey. um, but like I said, um, I'm tr- I'm trusting Edsos. They t- teaching me the right technique and everything. And hopefully on, I mean, not I ain't gonna say hopefully, but on um, pro day, I'll have a good time. And, and when is your pro day? Do, is that scheduled yet? Or are they still working through that? Oh, yes. Um, pro day. My pro day is uh, March 30th. March 30th. Gotcha. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Uh, I, the other thing I wanted to talk about is kind of some of the goals that you have for yourself in the NFL. When you get to the NFL, are you thinking about what you want to do there and w- what goals you have as a rookie and what goals you have early in your career? Um, pretty much, first goal, um, I always tell everybody um, as I just want to get there and study the playbook and learn multiple positions, not just the slot one, learn outside. Um, I want to learn. I want to know what everybody has to do on the field, from the old lineman to the quarterback to the running back and to all four receivers. I mean, that's how I, that's how I play the game. That's how I know. I just want to know what everybody at the, um, at one time and what concepts and what I. It's just like what everybody had to do. So that's how I learn. Yeah, man. That's awesome. Well, that's all I had for you. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast, and I wish you the best of luck moving forward at Exos and at your Pro Day. We'll have to get you back on again. But until then, man, best of luck. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Tutu was awesome, man. Way to come on. I mean, he's setting high goals, trying to get his weight up and trying to run in the four twos. Can't be easy for him. And he even battled some injuries this past year. I think he's still recovering. He said he's 100%, but you've got to get 100%, recover, and really attack uh, the combine. He did, he did say he has an invite to the combine. His pro day will be March 30th when he hopefully. All right. What are these combine invites, though? So combine invites, I think, are making you eligible to talk to coaches in, like, scheduled Zoom interviews, I believe is what the, the combine invite is. So like the NFL is getting a list of everyone who um, got invited to the combine. And those are the guys that are going to have like legit scheduled interviews, like probably all 32 teams. Okay. Well, I feel like obviously teams could reach out to guys who don't go to the combine, but those are going to be guys that have like are on a list. Somewhere. Are you not allowed to like call a prospect and just be like, Hey, I don't that- know. I don't, I think you're only allowed to take 30 visits though. There's something along yeah. those lines about the 30 like they're actually being in house, but they're not doing that. this yeah, year. Yeah. Yeah. So I think there's probably some regulations to that as well. It'll be interesting. Let's just say that it'll be interesting. Maybe that combine invite gives you a free visit with that prospect that doesn't count against your 30. I don't know. I don't know how it's going to work. All I know is he runs on March 30th at his pro day and I'm excited for it. Let's see what Tutu Atwell runs because it's going to be big. It's going to be fast. Uh, until next Small time, guys, idea. make sure uh, you tune into the podcast. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe. Leave your comments on YouTube. I need some more George, George Clooney comps. I need some more George Clooney comps for my confidence. That's, but, like, a, that's like a rookie draft analyst comp where you just go right to the the elite for any guy yeah true i need more realistic you gotta comp. get yeah you know i always say i hate hall of fame comps i don't give me something more realistic you know like a polished like a joe Rogan. pesci yeah joe pesci is better okay anyway until next time austin gale mike quinn mike brenner two for one drafts